welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am back. And this really is a special treat because I have my mentor and just all around amazing person and who could not spend hours listening to Joanna talk with her absolutely wonderful accent. My mentor and friend and just amazing colleague, Joanna Hunter, is here with us today to talk about money. Joanna Hunter is an international metaphysical teacher, author, speaker, and channel for the transcendent collective consciousness known as Skylar. And Joanna is on a soul mission. She's here to weave the teachings of Skylar into the fabric of Earth, reviving magic, abundance, and a profound connection to Source. Joanna brings a refreshing, no-nonsense approach, often hailed as the most down-to-earth woo coach you'll ever encounter. Joanna, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be back on your show, and we're going to have such a juicy conversation today. We are. We are. I mean, you and I have been you and I've been going back and forth about this and talking about just how incredibly important the conversation of money is for light workers, for empaths, for rainbow unicorns, for for all of us who are called to service on this planet right now. And yet, you know, it seems like many of us have so many money issues, so many money blocks, and just like all the stuff. And so I really wanted to bring you on to talk about this. And full disclosure, as we are having this conversation, Joanna is getting ready to run the second round of, it's the second, right? Or is this the third? Yeah, like it's the second round. Second round. Yeah. Yeah. So Joanna's just getting ready to run the second round of my million dollar experiment, which is one of the ways that I connected with Joanna, although not the first way I connected with her. Um, and that is a place where Joanna leads people through. Actually, I'm not going to explain it. You explain it. <laughs> so. so my million dollar experiment is literally the welcome mat to my crazy world where we believe in infinite possibilities. We believe in a world that can be changed. We believe in a world of no limitation. And it is asking a very serious question of can mindset and intuition training along with a million dollar plan make you a millionaire in just one year? And in 2021, I embarked on this journey for the first time, this nutty experiment, and uh, nothing could have prepared me for what happened. Um, our experiment went viral. We had over 4,300 participants. And by the end of 2021, one in every 287 participants had hit a million dollar a year. So to give that number some context, if you're in the UK and you play the UK lotto, 
you have a one in 15 million chance of winning that jackpot. Um, And that's the lottery jackpot. If you were in the million dollar experiment in 2021, you had a one in 287 chance of leaving Mm. that a millionaire. Mm. So Mm. we answered the question with a resounding yes. Yes. That mindset and intuition along with a million dollar plan can absolutely make you a millionaire. Well, we are rolling out that red carpet again and inviting people to come and get crazy with us again and inviting them into the vibes, the playful curiosity, the vibes of an experiment. But we are going to see this time, can we duplicate our results? You know, can we do it again? Can we, is this sound, was year one just a fluke or is this going to work again and again and again? Mm, So really taking the time, and I love that, you know, you're not just resting on your laurels and being like, I ran this amazing experiment and people made a million dollars. And then you're just leaving it at that. You're actually having the courage to pull it back out again and say, is this something that's repeatable? And it's funny, as we're talking, I'm just thinking about Um, People who are listening to this and going, oh, my God, I can't believe that she's talking about this is not a podcast. This is a sales call. And just all of the stuff that even comes up when we start talking about talking about money and particularly the ways that I know, like even the idea of talking as a highly sensitive empath about offering money, you know, like talking about money, about especially making an offer and asking people for the sale. This is something that I've witnessed in myself that like clutching resistance. I've been able to feel with other people where they're just like, you know, they're, they're, they're like, oh my God, that's so icky. You're talking about money. And so I just really wanted to sort of own it, name it, call out the elephant in the room, because you and I are like diving in and talking about money. And we're talking about it from a place of like, what if we could approach it with playful curiosity? But that's not necessarily where most of us start. No, no, not at all. I mean, I grew up in a in a very different financial world than the one I inhabit now. And, and you know, and I grew up hearing all of the things, you know, like you got to work hard for money. If I asked for money when I was younger, it would be met often with things like, who do you think I am, Rockefeller? Um, You know, money doesn't grow on trees. All of these wonderful statements from the repertoire of my parents, which they probably got from their parents and guardians before them. So, you know, and, and so forth and right the way back to the dawn of time and you know, and this is the thing. Um, and also as well, we have um the, the biggest issue with money is that money is not what I call a squeaky clean energy for most human beings. Mm, mm-hmm. so let's start there because I yeah, think let's that's start there. a really good place to start, right? Yeah. Because if even at the mention of this podcast, or even in the beginning of this podcast, you're feeling like, oh, like if you're still in the room, amazing. Thank you for still being here. But let me tell you why that is. The reason why that is, is because you have taken the energy of money and you have taken another energy and attached the two together and that something is not in alignment in your own being and money doesn't get just to be money. So I always like to liken money to a spade, right? 
And most of us would never look at a spade and say, well, that is evil because you heard once upon a time that somebody took that spade and hit a guy over the head and then buried him with it, dug the hole and buried him with it, right? The spade is just a tool. It's neither good nor bad. Money is exactly the same. It is just a tool. It's neither good nor bad. It depends on who is wielding it, whose hands is using that money. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that we have attached these ideas that money is the root of all evil or um you know or we've attached and you know the original quote of the money is the root of all evil is actually love of money is the root of all evil is the original quote and I don't really agree with that to be quite honest because I feel like if I'm digging the garden I'm loving my spades I mean it, it literally saves the nails uh, it saves my back from breaking, trying to dig that hole myself, right? And and money gives me the same opportunity as the spade. It helps to make life easier. And, you know, and I don't begrudge another human being an easier life because mm. let's face it, you know, we have a lot of challenges. And if you're an empath on top yeah. of regular life and then you're an empath as well, like you have extra challenges too and life is hard enough. So why would we begrudge other people something that could make life easier? It is because we have taken the money, the energy of money and taken other energies and whacked them together. Yes. And now we don't approve, right? Yeah. And my one of my big teachings that I help people to do is to kind of like discover, well, what are the energies that you've whacked together? And how can we get money back into its squeaky clean nature? How can we get money back to feeling that it's squeaky clean for you and it doesn't feel icky and it doesn't feel bad or it doesn't bring up your stuff when you even just talk about it or even talk about charging, Mm -hmm. you know, for your great work out in the world. Oh, Joanna, preach. And, you know, I want to give an example. I was doing some work with somebody around money actually yesterday. And what was really interesting was that as we worked together, this pattern of what was attached to their relationship with money became really apparent because they had this really interesting experience where they had one parental figure who had tons of money and wouldn't spend any of it, and one parental figure who had no money, but spent, but spent like Rockefeller and had impeccable taste and spared, like, like gave themselves whatever they wanted. And so they had no role model with a healthy or appropriate relationship with money. They only had the person who had all the money and never spent it. And the person who had no, none of the money, but spent it all. And it was so fascinating seeing how these two role models or experiences completely defined where they were completely caught between a rock and a hard place where it wasn't okay. You know, it basically, it wasn't okay to spend money because either you have it and you shouldn't be spending it or you don't have it and you shouldn't be spending it. And so I love how you're talking about the way that we conflate things with money. And that so often when we're talking about our money issues, it's about so much more than money. And so much more. It's yeah. usually never about the money. Never. That's the wild thing. It's usually never about the money. In the energy, in the metaphysics, in the energetics, it's going to be like, it's a weird little story that you picked up when you were two. It's, 
um, an idea that you got from someone else. Like it's very rarely about the money. But just going back to your client there, you know, in a way, I am listening to those two parents and thinking what perfect avatars to learn the middle road, Mm -hmm. right? To learn the moderation. Because we have one parent without any moderation, but no money. And then one parent with all of the moderation, like we're not letting go of one red cent here, right? And then, but they have the money. And then somewhere between those two avatars is this middle road for your client, right? To walk and and learn how to be that embodiment of that middle road. Um, I often think about my parents, you know, it wasn't until I had done very deep healing that I realized that my mother, who was incredibly selfless, and my father, who was incredibly selfish, that they were the perfect avatars to teach me self-love, you know, because they were almost extremes of that compass. Exactly. Yeah. The idea of it, it's like when we have those contrasts, we can learn to find our way to the middle. But that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole podcast episode right there is how do we find our way to the middle from those kinds of contrasts? Mm-hmm. You also were speaking about how it's never about the money or mm-hmm. rarely is it about the money. Could you give us an example, like a real concrete, like, you know, I was experiencing this or a client of mine was experiencing this where that could really illustrate like what we're talking about. Um. I mean, I've got loads of different examples that I could give of this, but the one that pops into my head just now is an example of a client who um, was doing all of the things. And this was a person who was already at multiple six figures. So, you know, making money was not an issue for this human. And yet they had reached a plateau and tries the might, they could not get over this plateau. And, you know, she had been to many energy healers. She had speaking, spoken to many people and it was starting to really like kind of really frustrate her and really um, frustrate her totally and utterly. And, you know, and I, I had a look at her energy field and I've had this ability to be able to see energy. So I could immediately, she started telling me of her frustration or where she was at and how she couldn't make more money. And it just seemed to like always didn't matter. Like if she put like 50 offers in the month or five offers, she would still just make the money that she would make and wouldn't go up or down, but it certainly wouldn't go up, you know, and, and it couldn't go over this particular number that she had And then um, I was looking at her energy field and as she was talking, I could just really, really see this energy of how it wasn't safe. Mm -hmm. And as we went into this energy of how it wasn't safe, what transpired and what came out was the story about how much her father had earned. And she was earning the ceiling of her father's earnings. Right. And she was not allowing herself because of a a bond of loyalty to her father that she didn't want to be a disloyal daughter. She didn't want to shame her father in earning more than her dad. Right. So she artificially sabotaged every time she came anywhere near the ceiling of earning more than her father. And all of this was going down in her subconscious mind. Like Mm -hmm. none of it was in the awareness and in the forefront of her mind, because otherwise she would have been able to deal with it much quicker. But, you know, she'd been at this for months and could not get that reason. And then, you know, and again, you know, nothing to do with money whatsoever and her ability to earn, because that was already, she was already good at that. But the problem was, that 
she, her father had worked really hard all his life. He had reached and um, made good money. She was making good money, but here she was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. Um, she was driving the same type of car as him. Mm. She was starting to feel really bad about herself in that somehow she was like trashing the effort that her father had put in in his life and that that made her a bad daughter and that made her a disloyal daughter but the truth was that you know her father was delighted for her delighted that she had made the money earlier than he had delighted that she was showing this increase and so once we came to this level of consciousness and awareness of like okay it's dear old daddy here she was able to take her dad out and they went and had a beautiful lunch and at the lunch she sat down and said hey this is my fear dad and her dad literally kind of gave her the blessing of like no I'm so proud of you like I'm so uh, happy that you're doing this like this is amazing and like if you could earn more than me that would be amazing and that was all her energetic system needed that was all her energy system needed to start exceeding the earnings of her father and actually very shortly after that she went to 100k months i'm just just taking that in it's like you know because i think so many people when we're talking about money and especially when we're out in the quote real world it's all about strategy it's all mm-hmm. about hustle it's all about like you know follow this particular formula and what you're yeah. what you're saying is she didn't necessarily change anything in in terms of her operational procedure. She addressed this core belief that she couldn't surpass her father. It was, um, you know, the, the limiting belief was that in surpassing her father, she would be disloyal. And, and right. in her energy system, she was unwilling to be disloyal to her father. So in order to keep the vow in a way, it was like a vow in order to keep the vow of loyalty, she was going to have to keep under earning him. Yes. You know, yes. to be a good daughter. And and as soon as she had awareness of that and she was able to correct that, she was able to move on and, you know, go beyond her father's earnings and with his blessing even better, you know. Um, and, you know, and yet we had got her to a place of like, even if the blessing hadn't been given, she would have been good and to be able to do that because of the awareness and, and you know, the healing that we did around it. But she wanted to have that lunch with him and and sort of explain where she was at and and he explained where he was at and how you know absolutely over the moon he is for her and you know and how he's so proud that she has not endured the struggle that he has struggled that he endured you know yes and I yes. think that's so beautiful is like that and and you know and it makes perfect logical sense that our parents normally do want better for us than they had for themselves right like that is very much like part of like that but at the same time we do weird things sometimes for loyalty safety is another huge energy block when it comes to money people just don't feel safe and that was another aspect to that block she just literally did not feel safe to surpass her father's income in case she would incur his disappointment or wrath or like that. And he wasn't a wrathful man, you know, but still at the same time, it created that story in her head that she would somehow hurt him by doing this. 
Well, and as you're speaking, I've had the experience of people coming up against loyalty to ancestral suffering, like the Mm -hmm. idea that people struggled who came before us. Therefore, it's disloyal of us to not be struggling too. Somehow it's, it's not fair to have it easy. Like that's a really big one. And this actually leads me to, you know, the empath thing that I think so many, I've heard so many empaths talk about this of like, there are so many starving people in the world. There is so much poverty in the world. There is so much misery in the world. Who am I to have it good? Little old me, why should I have money when, you know, XYZ war is going on right now, when there are children starving in, you name the country. And I see that with empaths, like there is so much, often we get so aware of the pain in the world that we can really get blocked and feel unworthy of like receiving money. I mean, even just of, of being happy for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I always like that kind of saying that, you know, we don't help the miserable people of the world by joining them. No. Right? All we've done is increase that energy, increase that vibration, increase that frequency. We can help the miserable of the world. We can help the suffering of the world by being not another victim of the suffering and not another victim of the misery. And what we do then is that we become an avatar for something different right? And that serves people more because if you are sad, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in a council estate, everybody was in the same boat. Money was tight. Things were difficult. Um, You always knew who the rich kids were because they bought their council house, you know, and, and, and things like that. Right. But like, I'm so grateful to the people that bought their council house because they showed the rest of us that, that, that there was a possibility of more. Right. But a lot of people see that with resentment, you know, well, why do they get that? And I don't have that and, and all this. And when we're in that energy of resentment, all we're actually doing is pinching off the conduit to the divine energy of abundance. And that is also our birthright. And so we don't help the misery. We don't help the suffering by joining people at that frequency, joining them at that level. We actually help people by being the avatar for the change being the change we wish to see in the world and the same with money and you know one of my big missions is to get money into the hands of spiritual entrepreneurs i i have a sole mission of creating conscious millionaires and why do i want to create conscious millionaires well um there's a lot of gnarly energy in this world and when you are already a person who wears your heart on your sleeve and that you're already a person who would help humanity for free the resource of money in a person's like that hands is going to be used for the highest greatest good of all and i am i am not mad at that i i really actively encourage that because I don't think there's a a lack of money in this world and I don't think but I think the the way that the money is currently distributed Mm-hmm. Let's have a redistribution of mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Let's have people who are already got big hearts and already have a calling to help humanity. Let's have those people wealthy because we got a lot of issues in this world. And I think people who already feel called to helping humanity, whether they get paid or not paid, and they would do the work for free. I really feel like if those people had access to the resource of money 
I reckon within a decade, we could really transform our planet and the world that we live on and change so many things. And, you know, I really am passionate about empowering fellow female entrepreneurs. And the reason, I mean, I am passionate empowering any entrepreneur, but female entrepreneurs in particular, because if you look at business, it's been traditionally a male dominated sector for many, many years. And even in the 80s, when we saw the rise of these like really powerful women and, and things like that, they were making it in a man's world and they were having to emulate masculine energy in order to do it. What is really exciting about business in, in you know, in 2020 and 2023 now, you know, and, and going into 2024 is that I feel like women are starting to really come into their own in business. And that's what's so beautiful is that we are redefining what business looks like in a feminine energy. We're no longer hustling. We're no longer willing to do it in the way that the masculine energy. And what's exciting is that we're starting to see an emergence of genuine feminine energy businesses and that are based in, in feminine energy. And one of the things that strikes me is the community. Mm -hmm. It has such strong community spirit. And I think if we're going to heal, we have to heal at a community level. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and something I heard, I've heard from a number of different sources is that when, when, when money gets into the hands of women, they spread it around. That yeah. women, women do not just get accumulate a pile of money or a pile of bananas and just sit on it. Women, when they have money, they want to make a difference. They want to fund schools. They want to make they sure that there's community-based projects. Yeah, they back yeah. things that matter to them. And, and generally, women with money are known to be extremely generous. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. They tend to back more community based things. They invest in things like schools. They invest in things like um, schools, uh, infrastructure. They invest yeah. in things like community. They invest in community projects. Um, it tends to be way more community based investing that women in, do, and and it elevates more people. Whereas yes. In, in energy, and it's not to say that men don't do good work because they do, let's give them the credit for that. But I feel like in the masculine energy, there is a lot more of the hoarding that goes on of the wealth and, yeah. you know, and, and the accumulation of wealth for the reason of just accumulating wealth other than what is the goodness that I can do with this money. I mean, if we look at Jeff Bezos, for instance, his divorce to Mackenzie, um, you know, was really interesting because the first thing she did was start giving money away. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like he had accumulated, you know, through Amazon and I'm sure Mackenzie, you know, played a role in that as well, but like accumulated, they go through this divorce. And the one first thing that she does to set up this foundation to start giving this money away, you know, and that to me was like, that is women. That is yeah. women with money. That is what we do. We're just hardwired to want to help others 
And I think that is the nurturing aspect and the detriment of this planet is that for a long time, women didn't have the resource of money. I mean, I was just saying to somebody recently that, you know, even in the 90s, 80s, in order to have a bank account in the UK, you had to have a man co-sign it for you. So that yes. you a bank account in the, in the 80s. In the 80s, women couldn't know, have credit cards in the United States. Women couldn't have credit cards. Like, it's only very, very recently that we've been that money has been in our own hands. And I mean, I don't know, I think about even like Downton Abbey and the idea that you could not be female and inherit a title or inherit land in the 1940s, the 1950s, that this idea like we are only just now as women being able to have resources and have things with our name attached to it and not have somebody else come along and take it away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in business, we're starting to see the rise of the female CEO, yeah. right? Like a real genuine, not a female CEO that's trying to make it in a man's world, but an actual genuine female CEO operating from that deeply divine feminine energy and really investing. I mean, when I, I had the pleasure of the million dollar experiment to, I, I met such a woman and her name was uh, Tamara and uh, she um, had this uh, company that, and I'm not going to, I'm going to get the name wrong here, but it was like basalt. Um, what that means is an old Celtic word. And the meaning of the word was, if it is the good, if it is the goodness of all, right? And there was an opposite word called basult, but I probably got those words wrong, right? So I'm, I'm just going to own that. Um, but what I loved about her interview was she talked about that basult was like when you do something just for yourself and you you do something with complete selfish intent. And basalt was when you do something for yourself, but you are also including the community in that. And the reason she named her company was that was because the ethos of her very company is to make sure that it is for the highest, greatest good of all. And this to me, and, you know, she talked about her team meetings that people bring their children to the team meetings and that this was part of the ethos of her company. And it was such a very different company. And yet it was a multi-million dollar company and, and with such a different feminine ethos. And it for me, it was fascinating to see how she run that company. The other thing that she did as well was her marketing was all based on people creating these basalt um, or basalt circles with, and they would sell the products to their friends and their family in the circle. But then these people could form their own circle and it was all community based. And this had created a, a multi million dollar company. Well, and I just thinking about even the idea of she's having meetings and kids are welcome there. I think of that a couple of years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic, there was that video that went viral with the corporate guy doing a Zoom meeting and his toddler comes in on a wheelie, like the door <laughs> flies open and the toddler comes rolling. And the nanny. And the mother, the mother or the nanny goes. It was a nanny. The it was the nanny. Oh, she's like, yank in the child's eye. <laughs> You know, and it's like, and and it just the idea of the interruption of the child was just like, you know, he he had no idea what to do, and it's just kind of like a mom with a kid who's running a business is just like, I mean, I have one of my mentees has got five 
five daughters and they are just constantly in and out with the work, but it's just like we can create space for people. I think so as well. And I think, you know, this is it. And, you know, and I feel like female founders, female CEOs, where we have this sacred duty for the next generation to redefine business and to redefine business, to be a business that is empathetic to and and shows deep empathy to being female as well right and somebody said something once to me which i will always stay with me and it's such an interesting thing that a masculine cycle is 24 hours and a feminine cycle is 28 days mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and isn't that a, a big slice of truth right there and if you think about it you know most men are are very good at compartmentalizing stuff right yes. and it, it happens within the 24 hours and then they're good to go the next day. Whereas women, like we're like, hang on, I'm really pissed right now. I'm really annoyed. I need to think about it. And I need to process the emotions. And it might take a 28 day cycle for that to happen. And I think, you know, then for that, that female energy to try and run a business off the back of a strategy that is being designed, um, for a masculine energy that runs on a 24-hour turnover, we can begin to see why that might be so stressful for women. Mm. You know, and yeah. you have such hormonal fluctuations. And that's not to say, you know, like, are you on your period? Because that is very derogatory. But like, so what if you are? Because right. you have different needs throughout the month. Men do not have that. Right, right. right. And, and so why should we do business in the same way that they have done business for centuries and for years, just because they have done business in that way for centuries and for years? Like, I feel like it's our sacred duty as women now, and especially as women entrepreneurs and even as empathic entrepreneurs, that it is our sacred duty to start redefining the the field, the game and to redefine the field that we are playing on because the field has been biased to one type of energy. And I don't know about you, but I am here to stay. And so I am determined to redefine that field for other women who are mm-hmm. coming up through the ranks and deciding that, you know, business is for me or this is for me. And, and, you know, we are allowed to do business with heart. We are allowed to do business with a rhythm of our own internal cycles. We are allowed to do business with empathy yeah and um, it doesn't have to be you know like how many times were we told well it's just business it's just business it's nothing like, personal it's nothing it's personal. nothing personal just yeah. business well you know what guess what as women we can make it personal yeah we can be like yeah this is personal because this is my whole heart and soul that I'm pouring into this so you bet you that this is personal for me yeah well, and for women, business and and whether you identify as a business owner or an entrepreneur or not, you know, money is personal and it's all about relationships. Like so often the most successful businesses in my experience that I see are the women who understand relationship, that it's about relationship. It's about building relationship. It's about making connections is personal. It's very, it's interpersonal. I would say it's not personal. It's interpersonal maybe is a way to talk about Mm. it. Yeah. I mean, it's all about relationships and especially, you know, like even like everything is a relationship, your relationship to the environment, 
that you live in, your relationship to your people around you, your relationship to your home, your relationship to your money. You know, it is all a relationship. And, and you know, and it's funny that you brought up the relationship thing, because when I was doing my deep money work, and just to give people who are listening to this a bit of context, that I had built um, some very successful businesses between the ages of 23 and 26. I worked in them for nearly a decade, and then I hit a huge burnout. So I was used to having a lot of money when I was building the businesses. But I was building it from very masculine energy. So I was like just running full pelt on the treadmill of life. And uh, of course, you can, you know, if you run full pelt on the treadmill, it's not sustainable forever. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I had a huge burnout. Uh, My burnout came with a huge shock because it was like suddenly I just couldn't run full pelt anymore. And um, I had nearly died and I had a host of now a host of health problems and things. And I ended up living on welfare, you know, so no money. And when I came to a level of consciousness where I decided I, I need to do something about this now, I want to change the situation for me and my family I cannot live like this any longer. It's it's too hard. It's too difficult. Um, as I began healing my relationship with money, I began to look at, at a thing. And, and I want to share this with you people. If money was a person, if money was a person, would you want, and you were money, would you want to live with yourself? And I realized it was hell's no. I never spoke about money with dignity or respect. I was always mad at money. Either it was too little or not enough, or it, you know, I was mad. And so I was mad when it did show up because, oh, you're not enough. And then when it didn't show up, I would be mad at it for not showing up. You're never there for me. Um, so if you start looking at that as a relationship, mm, you know, mm-hmm. we were fit for the Jerry Springer show, you know, like yeah. we need Dr. Phil up in here because it was bad. You yeah. know, it was that it was that couple that screech at each other in a Walmart car park, you know, like and that was the really I literally had like a spousal abusive relationship with money. Like I was so mad and so angry at it and and disappointed. And I had so many emotions tied into that money. And when I asked that question, you know, if I was the energy of money, would I want to live with myself? And just hearing the way that I spoke or thought and felt about money, no. No, I would not. And that was a moment I stopped blaming money in my life for not showing up for me because I realized I wouldn't have showed up for me. And I thought, okay, well, I can change that relationship. So what if I start speaking about money with dignity and respect? What Mm. if I started becoming an attractive option for money to live with me in my life? What if I started really... Um, having a good relationship with money, right? And that it was it was a relationship where we like kind of sexed each other up and we took each other on dates. And it was like one of those relationships that you become, a, you know, like obsessed with each other, but it's this beautiful elevating energy and then you just always feel good. And that is what I started to do. So that I thought, well, okay, well, I'm, I'm not you know, money and me were not really good friends. So I was like, well, okay, well, money, I suppose you could take me on a date, you know? And so I would let money date me 
And so I would say, okay, money, you can take me on a date. And so we would go to like a coffee shop and money would buy me coffee. You know, like it was me handing over the money to the cashier, mm-hmm. uh, but it was money. Money was taking me for this coffee and I would sit down and, and I would bring my journal and I would tell money my hopes and my dreams. The ones that I had been so pissed at that money never showed up for, but I started to share with money because I felt like in a relationship that's really like heartwarming and a relationship that's really good. Like you share your dreams with your yeah. relationship, you know? Yeah. And so I started telling money, my hopes, my dreams, and, and, you know, money would buy my coffee and it would sit there and listen to me patiently as I journaled, you know, and, and I, I really appreciate money for its patience and and listening to me ramble on about all the things that I wanted to do and see in this world and, and what I wanted to open up and what I wanted to achieve and how I wanted to impact this world and change this world and, and give goodness to this world, you know, and I discovered that money was this beautiful, patient listener and, and then um, I thought, well, okay, well, well, I suppose I can give you like a somewhere, somewhere a little bit nicer to live, right? So I took out that ratty tatty wallet that I had, and I, I went in and I, I took some money and invested in a nice new home for my money, you know. And I said, there you go, money, you know, like now, now let's make it nice for you. Like I want it to be nice for you as well. You've been so patient. You've listened to me. You took me for coffee. I want to do something nice for you. And we created this like beautiful reciprocal relationship that just kept elevating. And then in 2021, in the first year of the experiment, I hit. I was one of the people that hit a million dollars that year. You and I went from welfare to a million dollar year in six years. Mm. And you guys, if you want to hear Joanna's earlier story, you can go back to the season two and hear a two-part story about Joanna's multiple organ failure and her Mm. rise from the ashes really remarkable story, which is one of the reasons why we're not going into all of it here, (laughs) because you can catch it in another place. But like six years to go from sleep, you know, like living in your mom's spare bedroom to like running. We were homeless um, for a month. So it wasn't long, but, you know, it was long enough when you have three children, a cat and a dog and a husband. Right. It was long enough. Yeah. Um, but we really seriously did not have a home. It wasn't like, hey, we're staying with mom until our next home is ready. Like we had nowhere to go. Mm. There was no home for us. And and it was a low point, you know. Yeah. And and yes, I could have allowed that low point to take me down. But instead, I was like, this is the moment it changes. This is the place it changes in, you know, and instead of letting the low point take me down. Well, and you have had a number of really major pivotal moments that you could have easily thrown in the towel. I mean, being in hospital and multiple organ failure you really could have, and having doctors basically say, get your house in order, like Mm. it's time to, you know, make peace with everything. And yet here we still are here. You are on the other side of it. I make it. Yeah, you make it, you make (laughs) it. You know, we we're getting towards that, that moment where I'm going to say, oh my goodness, Joanne, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by, but we've got a little bit more time. And I was thinking, I'd love to talk a little bit about source and void 
and about the intersection between our money mindset, our feelings about money, and whether we are just completely gripped by the fear of void, and which I believe is the patriarchal kind of male model of money, which is that there is of scarcity and that there's only so much to go around versus more of that divine feminine source relationship. But I'd love to talk um, about that source and void a little bit because that's a big part of your teaching. Yeah, I, it's a huge part of Skylar's yeah. teaching. So Skylar is the collective consciousness that I channel and they have a, the saying that they say, you know, that there's, we experience energy in two flavors. Flavor one is the real flavor, it's source. And the absence of source creates flavor two. So the absence of source by its very nature is an illusion because it is the absence of source. So it's the absence of realness. And that creates the void. And the void is where fear and our hungers live and our illusions live and contracted energy lives. Source is naturally expansive, naturally elevating everything it comes into contact with. And when we are going through life, we are either operating from source energy, which is creating increase for us, or we are operating from void energy, which is creating decrease for us. And people who find themselves in struggle and find themselves in hardship, they're operating from the void energy. What determines the void? Well, it's not the luck of the draw. It's not because you're genetics or it's not any of those things. It's literally the thoughts that you choose to think. And at any given moment, you can choose to think different thoughts that can create a different alignment for you. And so looking at that of, you know, is my thoughts void aligned or are my thoughts source aligned in this moment? Like, what is it? Um, and you can begin to recognize very quickly whether your thoughts around money are void aligned or whether your thoughts around money are source aligned because the void always feels bad. Yes. And source always feels good. Yes. And so immediately we can check our relationship with money. And if our relationship, the telemetry and the data comes back and says that is void alignment, well, then we have got some choices to make. Do we want to continue making these void aligned choices, these void aligned thoughts? Or do we choose to nip it in the bud and say, okay, I'm going to start making a concerted effort to change my thinking to being source aligned? What do I want? What, do I, what want? do I need for myself in this moment in time? And it's about taking control and part of taking control in that situation or stepping into choice is moving into your personal empowerment is moving into your power. You always have a choice, even when you're in between the rock and the hard place, you always have a choice in how you react, right? There might be a situation where physically you cannot do anything. You can't do anything differently in that situation. Even in that situation, how you think about it, that's up to you. So let's go back to your experience. You know, you're homeless. You've just gotten out of hospital. You know, you it you easily could have, as you said before, you could have easily stayed in void. And yet that was the pivotal moment for you. And yet you really were between a rock and a hard place. What? What were the first steps that you took? Like what if you were, if somebody was where you were mm -hmm. and is like broke, stony broke and just, and struggling with health stuff and, you know, family members, all of it, what do you suggest? 
Where do you start? Well, let's back up on that story a little bit. So when I was actually homeless, I was really probably coming towards the tail end of my recovery from my multiple organ failure. So Mm -hmm. I really truly believe that the universe doesn't give you more than you can handle. And honestly, I don't know if I was strong enough to handle. I don't even care to find out if I was strong enough to handle multiple organ failure and homelessness at the same time. But I'm very grateful that they are were separate occasions. Yeah. But I was definitely still very affected by the chronic illnesses that I once had and have healed since healed my body from. Um when I a you know what is the first thing that you can do? Well um it's a really simple question. What is the energy you want more of? Because we're very addicted to going around and going, well, I don't want this. And well, I don't want that. And I don't like that. And now I'm mad at money because it didn't show up. And I don't, you know, and we're we're so full of the don't wants. And it's really shocking to me how many times. And and it it isn't shocking and not shocking because I did exactly the same thing. So zero judgment for me. I did exactly the same thing. But it's very shocking to me of how many people are so crystal clear on what they don't want. And then you ask that same human and you say well what do you want and they go and nothing they got nothing yeah and you're like okay so you were so crystal clear on all the energy that you don't want and like is it a surprise why it keeps showing up to you since Mm -hmm. you're crystal clear there but when I ask you what do you want and you've got nothing well how is the divine supposed to flow energy to nothing Right, right, right. We didn't spend any time defining it. And then we're pissed. The energy keeps showing up for all the stuff we don't want, but we're crystal clear over here what we didn't want. And so that's a huge step. If you want to start taking a step, ask yourself, what is the energy you want more of, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that you're going to find an energy in there that you want more of. And that energy is going to be gratitude. Yeah. You want more things to be grateful for. So guess what? You can start right now, today. What are three things that you're grateful for? Boom. Boom. The other thing that I hear in what you're saying, and I think this is a really important distinction, is we're not talking about the Lamborghini and the three-bedroom with, you know, two baths or the six-bedroom with five baths. And the, um, you know, five-star vacation and the private jet. I mean, all of these things for certain people, it's like, hey, it rocks your world. But what I really hear is more about how do you want to feel? What is the frequency you want to be in? And I find personally sometimes like if I start going into the details of like the physical world, it's almost like that really gets, I can get bogged down in physical But when I tune into the quality, the feeling, like, how do I want to feel? That's when it feels like the expansiveness really opens for me. And so I hear that going back to the story of, you know, you're, you're on the other side of, and I also just thinking about the timeline, you survive. So you clearly had a major wake up call and we're in the process of coming through it. And on the other side of this health crisis and this choice to say yes to yourself but it almost seems to me like this was and then the the money thing like getting whacked upside the you know like like becoming homeless with your family and everything it's almost like oh this was the next level of what had to be cleared 
for you to be who you truly are today? I mean, a funny thing that happened with the homelessness is sometimes everything has to fall apart in order for it to all fall together. Yes. So what had happened was that we had um, been to see this house a couple of years ago or a year ago, we'd been to see this house. And when I, I walked around this house, I thought it was a really beautiful house. And I was like, this is really lovely. And the rent was really cheap, like really cheap. And I, I, in the end, I was said, listen, lady, like, don't be offended, but like, what is wrong with this house? Because I cannot get over the rent. And she said, well, you know, it belongs to housing association and we're not allowed to like charge more than that. And it's only for six months. And so I, me and my husband sat and we thought really, really, really long and hard about should we say yes or no to this house? And we decided to say no, because we would be in the same position again, we would end up having to move. Mm -hmm. So two weeks before we needed to be out because the house that we had been in had been sold by the landlady to someone else and mm. they had bought this house. So we needed to be out. So we were like, oh my goodness, so you know what we're going to do and and things. And, and we just turned this house down because it basically would have meant that we would have been in the same position six months later. Right. So we, at the 11th hour practically, like two weeks before we were meant to be out, we get this other house and um and I was so meant to live in that house because I called that house the gratitude house and I actually wrote my gratitude journal in that house and it was the weirdest house I've ever lived in in my in my adult life and not because the house itself was weird but the person that owned that house had very little respect for it. It was like a mill. In fact, she described it as a millstone round her neck. Um, and yet she was not willing to let go of the house because it, her late husband had loved that house. She didn't want to let go of it. And um, and the weirdest thing was that it, me and my husband at the time, we said, you know, like we said at the time of living there, we said, you know, if we won the lottery, this is exactly the type of house we would buy, right? Mm -hmm. so we had this woman who was a landlady who was deeply ungrateful for what she had and um, called it this millstone round her neck. And the house had began to literally rot, you know, like every every sink in the house, like I'm painting a beautiful, it was a beautiful house, but every sink in the house was leaking when we first arrived. So mm -hmm. that was the first job that my husband did, you know, was repair all of that. And that taught me such a valuable lesson that if you hang on to things longer than its sell-by date, it will rot. Yeah. And she had outgrown that house. And even though I understand her reasons so clearly in the fact that her late husband loved the house, yeah. I understand that, but she wasn't honoring herself. Her late husband was her late husband. She needed to honor herself in that equation and let it go. And she wasn't willing to let it go. She was right. hanging on tightly, right. which was creating the rot. Um, and me and my husband, you know, we were so grateful that we had now somewhere to live. Unbeknownst to me, when we moved into that home was that the woman who I thought was my landlady kind of was my landlady she owned the house but she didn't have power of attorney her sister had power of attorney because apparently she'd had a complete breakdown so she started behaving in very passive aggressive ways and after about three and a half months of living in that house her sister turns up and doubles our rent overnight 
Oh my goodness. Um, and so this started to escalate and escalate and escalate. And then we, um, and then in the end, I was just like, I can't live like this, you know? And so I, I went to the Citizens Advice Bureau and like explained the situation to them. So Citizens Advice is something that we have here in Scotland. It's brilliant. You can ask all about legal things and stuff like that. And it's a free organization that you can go to and, and know your rights and things. So I, I sat down and, and they said, well, you know, if, if she has a mental illness, which, you know, her sister had indicated that she does, um, then you know, if she, if you have no lease in place and we had no lease in place, we'd done this all on trust because I had known her beforehand. And um, she said, well, if she asks you to leave, then legally by Scottish law, you would have to get out of there straight away. Mm. And you would have to literally leave your belongings in the house because if she told you to leave, you would have to leave immediately. Otherwise, you could be potentially done under another Scottish law of taking advantage of a mentally ill person. Oh my goodness. And so at that in that was an untenable situation. So at that yeah. point with that information, I went to our landlady and said, Well, hey, I'm just gonna give you like two months notice. Please like do not ask us to leave earlier. And you know, and and hope that she didn't know that. And and you know, and so we thought, no problem, two months, we'll find a house, no bother. Like we will find something. And of course, we didn't. And uh, and then it was like, mom we come and stay and then um you know and it felt really really bad it felt terrible to be a 40 year old woman uh, responsible for three children a uh, cat and a dog and my hubby and you know and to not have my crap together you know and that felt really bad and and things of like that and the backdrop that was happening was this homelessness. And yet I was launching my first book, Get Selfish. Yeah. And so, you know, I had, and the manifestation for that book was amazing. Like I had managed to get for a hundred pounds, um, this like function suite and the manager, as it turned out, the manager was an old school friend of mine. And so he threw in a champagne toast for us to celebrate my book and so I blagged this room that was normally a thousand pounds an hour for a hundred for um a couple of hours for a hundred quid for both mm. hours plus he threw in the champagne toast mm. to celebrate my new book so you know my manifestation game was still on point and and you know and there I was like I was signing books and feeling all that and a bag of chips and then I went back to my mum's two-bedroom apartment and all of us are like this you know but it really was an odd time in my life because I felt like I had one fit in this life that I was creating and generating and one fit in this life that I was um, leaving behind. Yes. Know, determined to leave behind. And, and it was that was the moment where I doubled down on my spiritual practices of things like gratitude yeah. and being present. And then it turned out because we were homeless, our local authority helped to house us. And lo and behold, the house that we had seen uh, a year prior, the one that would we would only have been in for six months, became available. And that actually became our house. And this time we would be the actual tenant and not subletting. And so that was perfect. So that was the Be Your Own Rescue House mm -hmm. of super affordable rent, uh, 
a better landlord than a private individual in the fact that there was no risk of that landlord turning around and going, we're selling this place because there was a housing association. Yeah. Renting houses is what they did. Yeah. Um, so it was their business. So that was different. And so this was huge for us. And that gave me the stable foundation to start building my empire. And then, of course, during that time, COVID hit. And for me, it explode when my business because we did the million dollar year in 2021 and that right. really skyrocketed um and and of course the the word of 2021 was pivot you know everybody was looking to pivot that year you know and yeah. and you and and there I was with already um you know a really well established online business by that time and and we were just so poised to ride that wave in a way and um you know and and really grateful you know for the opportunities that that gave us and I know that it was a really tough time for a lot of people but it was for me it, it was you know it was just kind of miraculous um and so we moved out of that home in July of 2021 into what we call the Thrive House um which you know when I think about this house I just feel like I need to be I have a freaking pond in my garden yeah. and I have a library and an art studio, you know, like who even am I right now? You know, and it, it's so delightful to know that we've been able to create this through the power of mindset and intuition, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and know that what I have created is open and available to any human being who is willing to work with their mindset and intuition. And that's the key. Any individual who is willing to work with their mindset and their intuition, you know, to take that leap of faith. And I just really, I want to acknowledge, and we really are at this point, like, oh my God, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. I really want to just mirror what you were talking about, about the period in your life where you had one foot in the past and one foot in the future, mm -hmm. that there was a period where you were in that in-between, you were in the hallway and I just really want to honor the fact that you kept going and that you, instead of sort of turning around and finding yourself sort of slipping back into the old thing, you really were just like, okay, I'm going to double down on the gratitude. I'm going to really, yeah. I'm going to really dial in and I'm going to keep on, I'm going to trust. I'm going to keep going towards this, this dream, this vision instead of just sort of by Deepak Chopra that actually kept me going. I've always found that quotes have really had a very profound effect on me. And Deepak Chopra once said, do you want to be a pioneer of the future or a prisoner of the past? And that oh. was, was and like, even though when I was looking around me and I knew that this is just a temporary reality, but do I want to be a pioneer of the future or a prisoner of the past? And so I would, I would sit there with my gratitude journal and be, I'm so grateful for the roof over my head, even though that roof was my mother's, but yeah. I'm so grateful. And I would sit and I would be the pioneer of the future because I was looking, these were the energies that I wanted to expand. I wanted to expand the roof over my head. I wanted to have 
a roof of my own. And so therefore I praised and blessed the roof that I had and I praised and blessed the food that I had and I praised and blessed the money that I had. And, and even though I didn't feel like a lot, I praised and blessed all of it because those were the places that I wanted the increase. That was the energy I wanted more of. And I was determined to be the pioneer of my future and not the prisoner of my past and my current reality. So, Joanna, we have we have come to that point where we are absolutely at the top of the hour. And ordinarily, I will do that. The um, the time travel exercise of going back in time. And we've done this before, but I'm just thinking why not? Let's do this again. Um, mm -hmm. But before we do that, um, I always love to ask, what else? Is there anything else that feels really important to share? And then we will have a chance to share at the very end how people can get in touch with you. However your relationship with money looks, know that it is not who you are, right? We tie so much of ourselves and our identity into money. If you're in debt, you are not your debt. If you are... Um, you know, you are not your money. You are not these things. These are outside things of who you are. They are not a reflection of your worth in this world. You know, you are worthy whether you were broken, you were worthy whether you have millions in the bank and, and anything in between. You are worthy. And I think that's one of the biggest things because so many of us tie our self-worth into the idea of money. Yes. And then we feel really terrible and we feel really bad about ourselves when the money is not there. Right. And right. You know what? It means nothing. When you have no money, it just simply means you have no money. It does not mean you are a bad human. Yes. Yes. Well, and this is a whole tangent that we could go down just talking about, you know, not having our mood and our energy defined by what are the number in our bank account, which is Absolutely. revelatory. Yeah. So now let's do that thing where we just find a place in time. We go back and we talk to younger Joanna. As I've said before, I really believe that podcasts exist outside of time. And so we can kind of time travel both into the future where somebody's listening to this in like 2035. And um, we can also go back in time and send a message or really deliver a message back. So who are we going back to and what are we telling her? Oh, I think I want to go back to my 15-year-old self. I had a very, very verbally abusive father growing up. Um, and with the additional layer of spiritual gifts. And so I was full of quite a lot of sass back then and quite a lot of vinegar. <laughs> I was quite mad at the world. And um, I think what I would go back and and say to 15-year-old Joanna is that, you know, forgiveness will elevate you into heights that you never knew existed. Forgiveness will elevate you into heights you never knew existed. You know, that we are often other people's behavior is not a reflection of us, but a reflection of where they're at. And that yeah. was very much with my father. In hindsight, looking back now and through all of the teachings and learnings and Skylar and everything, I can see how wounded he really was. 
you know, and, and he was really doing, and this is not excusing bad behavior, but he, he was really just doing the best that he could. And he was hanging on by his fingernails a lot yeah. of the time. And, and of course, um, possibly the last thing he needed was a sassy 15 year old that didn't like being told what to do, yeah. and, <laughs> you know, and, and I have compassion for her too. And I have compassion yeah. for my father now. And I can see it all in such beautiful hindsight and realizing that um, that anger that I held at that age was, you know, did me no favors. It's exactly what Buddha says about holding anger is holding a hot coal and wondering why the other person is not burning. Right, right. You know, right. I, you know, and, and that that age, I think I was very much burning you know, yeah. through my own anger and through my own place that I was in. And and now, and yet in hindsight, I can look back and know that I, that that was a necessary step in my journey and in my evolution and to my ability to hold space and compassion for other people, you know, it's all being born out of that void energy as well, because the void is not necessarily bad, just doesn't feel good, right. but it is a tremendous place of growth. Yes, it's a powerful, powerful teacher. I really, I'm, I'm just really hearing that she, you know, just Joanna needs to hear, um, you know, this is about him. It's not about you. You're okay. You're going to get through this. You are destined for things so much greater than you can even imagine right now. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Final question. How do we, how do we get in touch with you? And guys, there will be stuff in the show notes, including a link to my million dollar experiment. That's actually my affiliate link. Full disclosure again, but how, how can people find you? Where, where can we? You can find me at Joanna Hunter COM on all social media platforms or joannahunter.com. So pretty much same address everywhere. And uh, yeah, and go and check out the link on uh, Jennifer's um, show notes there and her affiliate link. And that's the really, really cool thing with the yeah. Million Dollar Experiment. We also offer a 50% affiliate fee. So not only is it $25 for a whole year, yeah. but you can also earn a 50% affiliate fee. And this is something that's so special to me because I wanted to make this as accessible yes. to many humans as possible. I am on a mission to change the consciousness of the world. And I know that so many people, the number one cause of divorce, the number one cause of stress, um, and stress is the number one cause of heart failure and things like that, right? So it's, it's money. Money. It's money. Money is the thing that couples will argue about. Money is the thing that will rat your stress up. But we know that stress is the number one cause of heart disease, right? Like not heart disease, but like heart failure and, and, yeah. and heart attacks and things. And so what I want to do is to be on this mission and create abundance, create a ripple effect of abundance. And what if, you know, who could you be if you just didn't have to worry about your day-to-day -day bills? You know, what, what more bandwidth would open up in your mind? What bandwidth would you have? Would you yeah. have more time? Would you have more energy for causes that you love things right. that are important to you because now we're not in survival mode so i'm on an absolute mission and i would love to just get this experiment out into as many hands as possible because i really really truly believe that together we can thrive together we can change 
the conversation, not only around money, but the conversation in the world and have a more fair, just conversation. And here's to money being in the hands of people who want to share it. Absolutely. Joanna, thank you so much for this conversation. I know, I mean, I could talk with you about this topic for hours and hours and hours. I feel like we just, we just scratched the surface. There's so many pieces to this and this was so rich. Thank you so much for sharing your truth and just really just showing up with your, you know, as you. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And as you can know, we could literally talk the hind legs off a donkey uh, because this is such a juicy topic and there are so many layers to it. And, you know, it is one of these things that is, but it's, you know, whether we love it or hate or wherever we fall on the scale of money, we've chosen a time in space to incarnate in a time where we use money. Yes. The money is part of our society, whether we like it or not. And that's got to mean something. Right. You know, that's right. got to mean something that your soul chose this moment in time and space to incarnate in a place where we use a monetary currency. Mm-hmm. And I believe that money can be one of the greatest spiritual teachers on our planet. Yes. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.